0: I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk.
1: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint
0: Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
1: Sarah's told you what she believes you did that particular day
2: and I wholly support what she says. I believe you took her off the street that day, I believe your motivation was sexual and I believe you took her back to Collingwood Place and I believe you killed her
3: there. That's the truth, isn't it? No comment, sir. That's what happened. And then you've used the day of next year to move her body. Is that the truth? No.
2: That's what's happened, isn't it? And in sometime over the following few days, you've driven down to Hampshire, an area that you know, and you've dumped her body. Oh, God, sir. That's the
4: truth, isn't it? Oh, God, sir. Arrogant and manipulative. In police interviews, Levi Belfield always refused to admit his crimes.
3: Too many similarities, Levi. Uh, there are a string of assaults um, on men and women that I think he, he, uh, he, he committed. There really are, you know, we, we're talking scores of offences.
4: Millie Dowler was kidnapped in 2002 while on her way from school to her home in Walton-on-Thames in Surrey. Six months later, her body was found. But it wasn't until 2011 that Levi Belfield was found guilty of murdering the teenager, by which time he was already serving a whole life term for the murders of 22-year-old Amélie de La and 19-year-old Marsha McDonnell, and for the attempted murder of Kate Sheedy. At the time, detectives said they believed Belfield may be linked to another 20 attacks on women that were never solved. These included the killing of Belfield's school friend, 14-year-old Patsy Morris, who was strangled in 1980, and an attack on Anna Maria Rennie, who identified Belfield as the man who tried to force her into a car in 2001.
2: To I Can Murder a Podcast Series Eight Episode Fourteen, <laughs> and across from me is the crow cackling, custard curdling, crash creeping, crimson carnivore Ben Carter.
3: Hello, good, good to see you guys. It's great yeah. to be back in the room. Um, can't wait until we get to D. <laughs> get away from the crash. <laughs> um, oh, no. How
2: how was your trip, man? You went away, didn't you? Oh,
3: did go away. Yeah, yeah. Brought brought you boys something back. Uh, oh, a, a case of the stomach bugs. Oh. Um, what do you know. But I've also got some lemon sweeties for you from a mouthie. Oh. Yeah. They're supposed to be good for you. From your mouthie
2: or from From my mouthie, yeah. From my mouthie. Half chewed sweets. Thank you, mate. How you doing, producer Dan? Yeah, very good, very good. (laughs) Sorry.
3: (laughs) But no, had a lovely time, thank you very much, and really happy to be back today.
0: How you doing, producer Dan? (laughs) Still very good, yeah, very good. Thank you very much. Uh, creeping into the old autumn era, aren't we, of the year? Very windy, isn't it today? Very, Very windy. windy and stormy. But I quite like it. You know, it's getting spooky out there. Outside of the cabin. Is autumn your... favorite. of Season done. Is autumn your favourite season? <laughs> um, Strong as an autumn guy. It's. I wouldn't say it's my favourite. Spring is my favourite, but I, I do. I'm a big fan of autumn. To be fair.
2: But yes, uh, we are back once again. We hope you guys enjoyed last week's episode, the Dylan Roof case. We are drawing ever closer to the infamous audience boat So make sure you're following us over on Instagram. We'll be posting out something on there to get your votes in.
3: Absolutely. So, if you're not following us already, why not head over to at @couldmurderapod on all of your social medias, and you'll see the audience vote uh, probably at some point this week. And uh, we can't wait to see which case that uh, you guys vote for. I have a, I have a inkling, a sneaky inkling about what they may vote for, um, but who knows? Who knows?
2: A stinky inkling, like a little squid, or sneaky, sneaky. I did say okay. sneaky,
3: yeah, sneaky inkling. A
2: stinkling, yeah, perfect. And yes, a new, a new kind of uh, tradition we have here on the pod uh, is Ben, does a, a cryptic clue. Um, if, if, I guess you could, I guess it falls on the cryptic. Ben, <laughs> do you want to give the clue you gave for this week's case? Absolutely. Call the farmer. I need a new pair of jeans. And if you guys figured it out, uh, this week is the case of Levi, jeans, Belfield. Bell for the phone. Field um, must be a farmer. So uh, <laughs> Levi Belfield. It, it worked. It does work. Yeah.
1: That's the best
3: one yet, to be fair. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. A lot of people got it in the Discord, which is... I did hurt though. My, hurt my well, two people have got it, which okay. is still two more than I would have liked. <laughs> oh, you don't want people to get it? <laughs> no, I want it, I want it to be overly... I'll work harder on the next one, although... You know,
2: Okay, I think he's i think it's I think two is a good rate to tame for anyway. But it's all the case is also known as the bus stop killer, the hammer man, the bus stop stalker. This one feels like you're made out of Ben, so you can read it. The tire clamper stamper or the tire camp or
3: the tire clamper vampire vampire. Yeah, you did make that one up, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Still with the cryptic stuff, shall I? Yeah, 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 yeah. um, (laughs) But yes, uh, today's case is the case of Levi Belfield. It has been requested a number of times over on the Discord and over on uh, other, when we do the votes for the case to cover and the audience vote. But also, um, people might be familiar with the case of Millie Dowler. Uh, It was a big missing persons case over here in the UK for quite a while. Uh, I've heard it be compared to the kind of how much attention uh, the Madam McCann case got. So um, this case actually will go across those two two, uh, subjects as well. So yes, uh, Dan, can you set the scene for this week?
0: I sure can. Levi Belfield has been described by multiple national newspapers as one of the most dangerous and highly violent serial killers Britain has ever known, a statement of which leaves very little room to argue. Between 2002 and 2004, Belfield used his intimate knowledge of southwest London backstreets as well as his shadowy charisma to brutally claim the lives of at least three innocent young women, all whilst managing to evade pursuing police. Many speculate that, during and prior to this two-year time period, Belfield savagely murdered up to 11 additional women in a siege of savage, senseless attacks. His series of twisted, heinous acts left a lasting scar on the collective conscience of the United Kingdom, with dozens of families still grieving and searching for answers almost two decades later.
3: So, yeah, I think uh, from that as well, obviously, the additional cases, additional missing persons cases that this individual tends to link himself quite heavily to, um, as well as also different police uh, forces linking him to. I I was not aware of that part. I've always seen photos of him on the whole life tariff lists when we've covered other cases and been researching those. But I was not familiar with the case uh, whatsoever. I thought he was a taxi driver for some reason, but obviously, obviously not.
2: I also thought the same thing beforehand. Yeah. Um. I don't know if he just looks like a taxi driver or has it the name of I a... think there well there's a lot of things to do in this case with him and vehicles and particular vehicles him driving around I think that's probably where we mm. it came into our mind I, I imagine Yeah,
3: but it's a fascinating case, loads to get into today. But we're going to start with a quote, and this is uh, from Detective Chief Inspector Colin Sutton, who will feature throughout this episode, who uh, summed up Belfield's personality quite well uh, when leading the case against him, and he said the following.
0: When we started dealing with Belfield, he came across as very jokey, like he's your best mate. But he's a cunning individual, cunning and violent, very violent. He can switch from being nice to being nasty in an instant.
3: So let's jump into it. Levi Belfield was born Levi Rebetz on the 17th of May 1968 in Isleworth, West London. He was one of five children born to Jean and Joseph Rebets Sounds like they're going at it like rabbits. <laughs> it does a bit, doesn't it? Yeah. Having two sisters and two older brothers, Josephine, Maxine, Jolian, and Harry. It's the first time I've seen a Jolian since Lescott. Mm, yeah. The Rabets were of Romany descent and were considered very much a working class family, raising their children on a council estate in southwest London. Levi's father Joseph worked as a mechanic and, as seems to be kind of the trend for this series in particular, he regularly worked extensive hours away from the family home. This left the home life fairly volatile for Jean and her children, who as they grew older often tried to overrun Jean and test her tolerations in order to be able to play outside on the estate for longer and get away with misbehaving, even to the point of causing damage to the house and later committing small criminal acts.
2: As the family were of Romany descent, Levi and his siblings were often teased fairly relentlessly by other children on their estate, with many labelling them, quote, gypsies, and others saying that their mother was a witch. As their father Joseph was known to have come from a travelling family, many other families in the estate tended to keep away from the rabbits and their children, leaving them with very few friends.
3: As a child, Levi was very small for his age, and, though he wasn't the youngest of the five Rebett siblings, he was frequently a target for their teasing and bullying. And this is definitely something that would impact him during his formative years, and something that he would actively look to change about himself later in life. Uh, So basically, he got very immersed in going to the gym. He didn't pop a pair of stilts on a big big jacket. Uh, A criminal psychologist who later evaluated Belfield said the following on his childhood.
0: He was considered a weakling as a boy, by his siblings, by his father, and by other children at school and on his estate. This made him an easy target for bullies at school and those who he interacted with when he was at home on the estate. Rather than helping or defending him, his siblings would also make fun of his small stature. This had a lasting impact on Belfield and could be considered as something that he never truly got over.
2: Because he was so small. No, um, no, yeah. So, let like, every people just taking the piss out of his stature. And I'm sure people would have seen the infamous picture of him as a grown adult with the neck the size. Of, that's every documentary and podcast I listen to this. Mm. All they're going on about his neck was so big. The biggest neck. We'll get onto that, won't we? Yeah, we'll get onto it. But I'm just saying. Time.
3: he de- It's one of those heads that the neck looks like it appears first. You see the neck before the head? No.
2: Well, yeah, uh, coming out of a shirt, the neck comes before the head. Yeah, yeah definitely, yeah. that's true. Yeah. Anyway, Thanks, not much is known by Levi's time at school. He is said to have been an average to slightly below average student who is socially reclusive and tended to keep himself to himself. He just folded himself up and tucked himself in a drawer. Levi and his brothers and sisters attended Forge Lane Junior School, rectory secondary school and finally Feltham Community College before they all went directly into employment upon finishing their education. In 1978, when Levi was just 10 years old, his father Joseph sadly passed away after a short battle of leukemia. The family had kept his illness from their children to the point that his health was rapidly deteriorating, and the physical changes taking place with Joseph were now very noticeable to his children. He had passed away after a short stay in the same hospital that Levi was born in, West Middlesex Hospital in Isleworth, West London. Levi and his two brothers were present at his father's deathbed, and the young boys were heavily traumatised by the moment allegedly becoming very emotionally cold and socially introverted after this experience. We should mention there are a couple of articles that suggest that Joseph actually died very suddenly and unexpectedly as a result of a heart attack, but the majority of content out there basically tends to paint it in the way that we just did there.
3: So up to this point, there have been a lot of question marks surrounding the relationship that Levi had with his mother, Jean. Levi Jeans. Like like Uh, the denim ones? Yeah, kind of like the, the denim ones, yeah. Sick. Levi made his mother Jean very happy from the moment he was born the pair were said to have had an incredibly close, incredibly special bond with one another, far more so than any of the relationships she had with her other four children. It has been alleged later in life by multiple ex-partners that, that Levi would go on to have, and basically, this is one thing that you hear very early on in a lot of the documentaries, um, that basically, Levi's mum would be very insistent, and also Levi would be very insistent, that his mother would wipe his bum for him, and also his, his genitals for him, um, up to the age of 12. And that, Imagine being very insistent of that.
2: What? I mom, mean, what is that? Mum! <laughs> I've done a. Come here and wipe. And the genitals. It's very, very odd.
3: Yeah, and, th- and this would go on up until the age of 12. And the other thing that stood out was that Levi would sleep in his mother's bed with her until he turned at least 16 years old. Mm. Though Levi and his mother would vehemently deny these claims, they did not deny that they were especially close with one another. With the rest of his siblings and other children on the estate labelling Levi a proper mama's boy. And yeah, she, especially after the father passed away, they, they seem to grow even closer. But there's, the, yeah, there are a lot of question marks. Uh, there's more room in the bed after he was gone, I guess. Yeah, there was a bit more actually, yeah. Um, but yeah, Levi and Jeans were especially close. One of the more prominent ex-partners of Levi, uh, Joanna Collings, who we'll hear more from uh, throughout this episode, claimed that Levi was actually still sleeping in his mother's bed. At the age of 30. And she was one of the few partners that he had that he actually took home to meet his mum. And she, I mean, this kind of sounds like she was joking, but she apparently said when they were discussing that Levi used to sleep in the bed with him, uh, that Levi's mother turned around and said, oh, yes, he still likes to sleep in his mother's bed. And he was 30 at this point. So, mm, yeah. Who knows, who knows. According to Dr. Eric Cullen, who's a forensic psychologist, a pivotal moment in Levi's life occurred shortly before he turned 13 years old. And this moment, according to the doctor, is specifically the point when Levi's hatred for women would truly begin to take shape.
0: When he was 12 or 13, he befriended an older girl named Patsy Morris, who was blonde, older and superior. They developed a friendly relationship, but she later rejected him when he made advances. Patsy who was just 14 at the time, was found dead two days after she had rejected Levi, with Patsy's father, George, believing that Levi was responsible for her murder. He informed police investigators that he had received a phone call from a young man who threatened to kill her the day prior, and he believes that it was Belfield.
3: So we'll go into more detail about the murder of Patsy Morris in our timeline, but it's important to mention this at this point in his life. He's obviously between the age of 12 and 13 and already been accused of committing his first murder. And there there are different kind of claims about this relationship. Some people said they were not in contact whatsoever. They did go to the same uh, college. They both attended um, Feltham Comprehensive. Um, But Other people have said, no, actually, they just started going out. They were boyfriend and girlfriend. And this all happened and escalated very, very quickly. And though the murder of Patsy is still technically unsolved to date, her death has been linked to both Levi Belfield and Peter Tobin, uh, two serial killers from the UK with a lot of very eerie similarities.
2: So George Morris, Patsy's father, who remains certain that Levi murdered his daughter, said this. He's a local man,
0: which is why it could be him and it's terrifying to think that someone of 12 or 13 could have done it.
2: After his father had passed away, Levi and his older brothers became more involved in troublesome behaviours, engaging in street fights, small burglaries and damaging local property. Levi would regularly play truant from school as well, opting instead to wander the streets of London. Each of the boys were heavily traumatised by losing their father at such a young age, and witnessing it happen, that they did not take the time to process the trauma, or speak to one another about how they were feeling. As a result, Levi would continually commit petty crimes, targeting up the flats and cars of the estate. When Levi was just 13 years old, he had the first documented run-in with the police, being arrested and charged with burglary in 1981. His mother was ordered to pay a small fine, with some speculation that he was physically punished and humiliated by his mother as a result. While others have suggested that she did not punish him whatsoever, and therefore his behaviour continued to escalate to extremely concerning levels. So a small trigger warning, because the next bit is highly disturbing, rumours suggest that at the age of 14, Levi began to experience a fascination with sex, specifically violent sexual interactions. As a result, it was alleged that Levi, whose mother was out with friends for the evening, told his sisters to watch what he was about to do. He then went to his sister's rabbit cage, opened the door, pulled out one of the rabbits, and had sex with his sister's pet rabbit, before snapping the rabbit's neck in front of his horrified sisters this rumor went around school with many other pupils nicknaming him Bugsy as a result of the rumor. Yeah, I mean that sounds like it's just one of those rumors that was made up by kids and then, you know people stuck with it and where well, after all this happened they're like, oh no he definitely did it. Um, because if you're going to start saying bad stuff about someone who's gone on to become a serial killer, no one's going to go oh don't be mean. So um, yeah, I feel like that sounds very elaborate but because kids can be mean making up things about people can't they shortly after this Jean would
3: revert back to her maiden name uh, after her husband had passed away so he is now no longer Levi Rabbit he is Levi Belfield in his later teenage years, Levi heavily immersed himself in the world of steroid use and steroid abuse, perhaps as a way to deflect from the bullying he was receiving due to his small size. He began regularly going to the gym and eating multiple portions of large meals. He became obsessed with his new routine, soon outgrowing his older brothers, with some people on his estate deeming him as, unrecognisable in his transformation. Levi would grow from a small, scrawny boy to reach six foot tall, weigh more than 20 stone, and here it is, boast a 19 and a half inch neck. So there's that neck comment,
2: Um, which is, is that big for a neck? Yeah, I think I've got a relatively sizable neck, and mine's 16 and a half. Bought a shirt the other day for a wedding, so. Oh, okay. But his is three inches so it's fair. It is, it is a big old neck. Big old neck. Yeah, 19 and a half inches. Just to clarify though, he ate multiple portions of
3: large meals. He went back for seconds and thirds, oh. all of which were large meals. Which is yeah. <laughs> so it's crazy. Not one, it's
2: not one large meal, but it's multiple. Well, yeah, multiple
3: portions. Yeah, <laughs> several several plates of large meals. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean he's a growing lad. He's gone back for multiple portions. Yeah, yeah. Of um, and the comment I made earlier about. The neck coming before the head. What I meant to say is, sometimes you you see a neck that just becomes a head. You know where, the, where there's no shape, there's no jawline. It's just mm. like Mike off of um, Ninety Day Fiance. Ed. Oh, Ed, Mike, yeah, Ed, big Ed, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's what I meant, just for clarity. don't want to sound silly. Uh, friends and siblings. That's <laughs> yeah, right. That was just a low fine
2: bird went past. Oh bloody hell! Yeah.
3: Friends and siblings claim that Levi Ed. would. <laughs> there is a, you. Shut that oh. window, please. <laughs> <He's gone now. laughs> Friends and siblings claimed that Levi would regularly experience roid rage and would often dominate his siblings and mother when these bouts occurred. Apparently, the warning signs became more noticeable the more that this would happen. Levi would start rocking from side to side before he would explode into fits of anger, with the entire estate hearing the echoes of his screaming and shouting. After leaving school, Levi took up work as a bouncer, working at various bars and nightclubs across the South and West London area. He soon earned a reputation as a solid worker, and I thought obviously Chopper Reed was quite a young bouncer as well, wasn't he, from earlier in the series, earning him plenty of work to keep him busy. And through this work, he was able to meet lots of different women, and he would often use the authority of his role to assert power and dominance over any women who were not friendly with him. So, yeah, that's a kind of an interesting change to his his life dynamic. He seemed to acquire particular fondness for young blonde women. And perhaps surprisingly, based on what we know about Levi so far,
2: some of the young women found themselves attracted to him. So whilst Levi was working as, as a bouncer of this place, it, he was known to essentially um, take, you know, offer drugs to people in exchange for sexual favours. Uh, but be quite forceful with doing that. And, you know, he'd have a car parked around the corner from there and take regularly take girls back. And you know, people have alleged that, you know, those girls were also were underage as well. So he was, he was using his power, his dominance, and obviously being quite a physically intimidating guy. He, he knew how to use all this to his advantage. And um, obviously, that's a horrible uh, image there. But um, he also it was said by his ex-girlfriends he had the gift of the gab and he people did find him attractive because he had like nice cars he's really here he, he was wearing like the, the latest uh brands and whatnot and he was able to uh get on with a lot of people and people liked being around him apparently which he had very different opinions from different people about levo when he was growing up but um yeah he, he basically knew how to manipulate people and charm people and yeah
3: A reporter on crime and investigation put this phase of Levi's life in a very brash way, saying the following.
0: Always short at school, it's during his teenage years that Belfield reaches the respectable height of six foot tall, and, despite his rather high-pitched voice and caveman habits, he believes he has an allure with the ladies. As a result, he enjoys a string of relationships and has dozens of lovers. In total, he fathers 11 children with five different women over the next decade. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? Sold! Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
4: Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it.
0: occasions.
2: I wonder what caveman habits are. Having multiple portions of large meals, Ben, that's one. Yeah. <laughs> um, one. yeah. He probably looked quite... His build? I don't know. See, my, my caveman is always
3: Wacky Races. That's my go-to for cavemen. for most
2: things your go-to, isn't it? Just badly life. Yeah.
3: Alive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the two ca- the hairy cavemen, yeah, that look like a coconut
2: shell. Captain Caveman. Yeah. Who is also... Looks exactly the same as the Pogman logo.
3: Yeah, and I didn't know this as well, but the cavemen in Wacky Races were called the Slag Brothers. Oh, wow. Rock and gravel slag. Twin cavemen.
2: There you go. Good name for a dog, that Ben. Slag? Yep. Cool. In 1990, aged 22, and three years into his role as a nightclub bouncer, the power seemed to go to Levi's head. He is arrested and charged with assaulting a police officer who had approached a situation that Levi had become entangled in when trying to remove two males from the nightclub he was working at. Levi headbutted the officer to the ground before punching him in the face four times, knocking him and the other two men unconscious. Upon his arrest, he is also charged with driving without a licence and sentenced to serve six months in prison. He leaves prison early after four of those months on good behaviour and immediately returns to work as a bouncer, but now resenting the role. Levi is arrested once again in 1994, age 26, for theft after stealing a wallet from the jacket of a drunken nightclub attendee. He served five months in prison for this charge. Five months for stealing a wallet seems. Like, I know that's obviously he's already done some time, but that's a lot. That's a long time, isn't it, for stealing a wallet?
3: Yeah, and I was just thinking as well, he's really uh, taking this role to the extreme as well, in terms of he's selling drugs on the side, taking people back to his nearby parked car, assaulting police officers that. Probably have slightly more authority than him, um and now stealing <laughs> yeah just a touch <laughs> yeah, sorry, did I say probably um, and also now stealing the wallet from a a patron um of the club, um which is yeah never nice, um surely someone's gonna rat you out on that one if there's if there's any kind of surveillance. Over the next few years, Levi becomes obsessed with the power he is able to assert through his role as a bouncer. And he also uses it to his advantage to meet and attempt to seduce many young and potentially intoxicated women. Levi would even rent a separate flat from his mother's home, located on Manor Road, Twickenham, in order to use it as a location to take back women he met at the clubs and also sex workers. Many of the women he took back were often the last ones left at the club, often extremely intoxicated and highly vulnerable. At this flat, he plies these women with alcohol and drugs before engaging in violent sexual acts with them. And over the next few years, he holds a series of different relationships with women he met at various nightclubs. And as we mentioned, obviously, he begins to father 11 children through five different partners. And whilst all of this is going on as well, his co-workers claim that he was essentially bragging about this as well, um, in terms of uh, it was it, not, a, uh, not a quality brag, but a quantity brag. 11 kids, five women... Uh, Four divorces, I think it was. Uh, Yeah, he was very much open about his his personal life at work, uh, inflating his own ego and believing that he was God's gift to women. Detective Sergeant Joe Brunt, who would later conduct a series of interviews with many of the women who had entered relationships with Levi, said the following.
0: He was absolutely lovely at first. (laughs) He was absolutely lovely at first. You could even say charming, which was surprising for a man of his size and nature but he quickly became controlling, domineering and evil. Each of the ex-partners, they all said exactly the same thing about him.
3: So yeah, all of this is happening. Uh, it's not like these relationships are starting and ending. He's, he's raising children concurrently with different uh, women that he's met. So Joanna obviously um, went on to have uh, a baby with Levi. And she claimed that many of the women Levi had seduced would quickly wish to exit their relationship or cut off their interactions with Levi once they realized how quick to anger he was as well as how unpredictable and controlling he was. And Joanna said the following.
0: When I was first pregnant with my daughter, he was absolutely over the moon. Then it changed because he already had girls with his previous partner and he'd always wanted a boy. So it kind of all went downhill from there. Levi's mood swings went from absolutely loving and really nice one minute and then literally like you'd switched a light switch off the next. When I cooked dinner, he liked the food placed in a certain way. The peas had to be separate from the potatoes and whatever else you had. And he would make me cut it up and try it all in front of him because he was convinced I was trying to poison him. He would make me sleep naked on the bedroom floor, wouldn't allow me to have any bedclothes, and one night he made me sit on a stool all night. He made me feel like it was all my fault.
2: She also had gone to say about he basically wouldn't let her go to the toilet without having permission from him. He would have to go in there and literally watch sit in the bath while she was going to the toilet, which... This, the level of control is absolutely staggering. And yeah, I mean, the peas for the, of the potatoes. I mean, I I know people with beans. Like that. They are like They the beans stuff things. Yeah, don't want to get things yeah. soggy. But peas, I, I mean, know. peas, they're not going to do anything to the for touching a potato, are they? The silly no. fucking prick.
3: No. Yeah, I, I mean, he, he, in terms of the quotes about him and how manipulative and controlling he was, I've not seen anything to this extent since we did the Mick Philpot episode. Mm. Um, it is yeah his and then all, all the other things he would do to keep tabs on them like calling them when they're at work because he was obviously working mostly through the night yeah. he would call them several times saying what are you doing who are you with where are you with um where are you with where are you with them uh he was getting so confused with all the questions he was asking yeah, he sounds like an saying, idiot out of, he does yeah thanks man
2: that's all right um the pattern was always the same he would be the perfect partner for the first couple of months before slowly escalating his attitude and behaviors to the point that it became a monster to his partners so he would stop them from seeing friends and family and as ben mentioned he would hound them with text messages and calls to see what they're doing and eventually they would even need permission to leave his flat to go to the shops in the year 2000 aged 32 and with 11 children to look after levi launched his own wheel clamping company uh to any american listeners i think it's called a car boot is a boot on the car basically it's a clamp Mm -hmm. on the car things put on the cars so you're not able to drive away essentially um, which they can be quite dodgy companies because it's private companies doing it. They pretend they're part of the council and you end up paying fines. You don't need to pay. I did
3: try and find this for us because I was I wanted to know the name of his company. Cause he's got to use that first name, hasn't he? Levi. Levi Clampin.
2: Levi Clamps alone. What was it? Uh, no, uh, Levi Clampin. I don't know. It doesn't really, doesn't really add to it, does
3: it? Belfield's Clampers. Sounds like some sort of adult. Uh. Oh. I imagine.
2: You love it, don't you? Anyway, um, he would still occasionally take on agency work as a bouncer, but would predominantly work running his wheel clamping business. Again, another role that he viewed, he would hold a particular amount of authority, power and control. And so, yeah, he literally wanted to control these, essentially the drivers and these tyres, Ben. He did, yeah. I mean, I've never had a run-in
3: with a, a clamper or a bouncer, um, mm. thankfully,
2: thankfully. Usually but... you get too drunk and scared, run away and just drive off. So yeah, yeah. there's not time for either of <laughs> them to do it.
3: I uh, wish you would... were joking. <laughs> No,
2: he's this would increase his already in-depth knowledge of Southwest London roads and parking areas located close to nightclubs, restaurants and shops. As well as this, he started to notice isolated women who would be waiting at bus stops during the late hours of the day and early hours of the morning. The business slowly began to perform well, earning him good money and inflating his already stretched ego. Joanna Collins, who we've already mentioned, was one of the few women that Levi would introduce to his mother, Jean. Upon meeting his mother, she quickly picked up on just how strange their relationship was. She went on to say,
0: She wiped his ass and let him share the bed with her until he was 13 years old. He would call her every day and went round her house all the time, even when we were living together in his flat. He would stay there and she would lend him money whenever he wanted it. She joked that, even in his 30s, he still loved his mother's bed. She was the female version of him. It's really bizarre how close Levi and his mum were. You know, you get that feeling. No matter what he did, he was never in the wrong. He could never do anything wrong in his mum's eyes.
3: As well as his extra flat, Levi made the purchase of a large people carrier, which he modified to contain a bed in the back, as well as purple-tinted blackout privacy windows. He also had installed either LED lighting on the inside, or, from the reports, one of those weird... You see them in, like, cookie ads all the time. Those, like, mood lighting projector... Probably my cookies, aren't they? You know, the ones that, like, shoot stars on the ceiling. And
2: My just... cookies tend to just be delicious, but... Um...
3: <laughs> he had a, some form of mood lighting in the back of that people carrier, is what I'm trying to convey. Um, but they have been described as strange lighting on the inside. And occasionally, he would drive this people carrier around the nightclubs he used to work at between 3 and 5 a.m., often trying to, quote, unquote, accidentally bump into some of his previous girlfriends or one night encounters though this would never work out the way he had planned so yeah that's a bit strange he's obviously got a a relatively successful clamping company he's doing that during the day and then at the night he's going around in his people carrier he's got some weird lighting bed in the back uh tinted windows and he's basically cruising by all of the old nightclubs he used to bounce at hoping that someone he had a, a very blurred experience with would recognize him and say oh yeah Let's check out your people carrier. I think it's open for more than that. but um, Probably, yeah. Let's yeah. check out your people carrier in fine detail. Maybe, I don't know. As a result, police officers that had dealt with Levi previously were made aware of surveillance footage showing Levi approaching young girls and women at bus stops and taxi ranks late at night in his heavily modified people carrier. Despite him stopping at these locations and chatting with them for several minutes, thankfully, no women on this surveillance footage are seen entering his vehicle. With a series of failed relationships and not being able to satisfy his own growing, graphically sexually violent needs, Levi decides once again to horrifically escalate his behaviour, in a move that would etch him into the headlines of national newspapers as one of Britain's most dangerous serial killers. And it is here that we move to the timeline of Levi Belfield, the bus stop killer.
0: But before we jump into that boys, I realise I haven't given you a riddle, um, so why don't I give it to you now and you can have a little think over the timeline? Love it. Go on. Dan's riddle, sly and mischievous grin. Twist and turn and mind game to win. Puzzles are plenty, of chuckle or two. A lottery thought, we find our clue. Riddles! Gone back to my roots, making sure it's nice and easy and straightforward for you, but we'll see what happens. The person who made it doesn't need it. The person who bought it doesn't want it. The person who needs it doesn't know it. What is it?
2: Riddles! Mmm. Quite like this one. I've got an answer but it's wrong but yeah I'm how do you know it's wrong because it's not really it's quite abstract man is, oh. it, is it chewed up lemon sweets Ben chicken
3: <laughs> Ben's Ben chicken
2: do you want to feel poorly come to Ben's for Ben's ben chicken. <laughs> so what's pink get it down yeah
0: good jingle that
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah have a little think about that boys but um, let's proceed with the timeline
2: Late night of October 15th, 2001, now running his own wheel clamping company in the West Drayton area of London, Levi Belfield is roaming the streets in his people carrier under the guise of working, when he is, in fact, looking to find someone to either take back to his flat or spend time together with on the mattress in the back of his vehicle, consensually or not. At this point Levi has become bitter as a result of almost two dozen relationships ending in women either rejecting him or looking to leave him altogether. Though, as we have mentioned, he has been able to father 11 different children with 5 different women, many of these relationships are now completely fractured, with some even accusing him of physically assaulting them and raping them. A large number of his children are no longer in contact with him at this point as a result, only heightening his anger towards women and what he deems has been taken away from him. His anger towards women and society in general has left him with 9 separate criminal charges, having spent almost a year in prison by the age of 33. He has now decided that he wishes to take complete control of his life and, as a result, his criminal activity. Levi is driving on this particular night with an added layer of hatred heavy on his heart. His then-partner Joanna Collins had confronted him to ask him why he had a collection of women's magazines in the bin bag within the garage of his flat, with all the photos of blonde women having their faces scratched off. Levi explains that the magazines are not his and that they were used as a prank by one of his brothers before storming off into the night. That's a really hard
3: accusation or question to deflect if you get you know why have you got this bin bag full of magazines with women's faces scratched off ben or tom or dan Hmm.
2: joanna would say the following in a later interview with the daily mirror
0: while we were together i found a few women's magazines like cosmo or vogue in a black bin bag that was in a pocket cut out of his jacket it was hanging in my garage and i was looking for something else the faces of all the blonde women in the magazine had been stabbed I went mad. We had one of the biggest fights ever. A huge punch up. I wanted to know what it was and I told him he was a sick cunt. He went mad. Said all blondes were slags and deserved to die. He said regarding how he felt towards women you feed them and keep them. You can do what you want to them.
2: Yeah that is uh, a real horrible insight into the mind of Levi Belfield there. Um, And yeah it must be quite shocking to find you know images of defaced women and just showing the hatred he has to the opposite sex um but yeah it leading to a huge uh, blow up and fight there as well um whilst driving one of his regular routes Levi notices 17 year old blonde student Anna Maria Rennie sitting alone on the pavement in front of a bus stop after firstly offering her a lift home which she refused he parks up his vehicle and slowly makes his way towards her Anna Maria who was collecting her thoughts after a late night argument with her boyfriend is immediately made uneasy by his bizarre approach and begins to stand up, cross the road and leave. Before she can get a mere 10 yards of distance between her and Levi, she suddenly feels an arm go around her shoulder before the hand belonging to the arm covers her mouth.
0: He had his left arm around me and his right hand across my mouth. As he put his arm around me, I screamed. So he put his hand over my mouth and picked me off the path. He was very strong. He was walking me towards his vehicle, which was parked in a lay-by with the back passenger door open. I put up a big struggle. I was using everything, trying to get my arms free, kicking, anything I could to get away. But just before we got to the car, he let go. I don't know how or why, and I ran away across
2: the park. Little did she know Anna Maria had narrowly avoided becoming allegedly the first victim of the bus stop killer. Yeah, that whole sequence is absolutely
3: terrifying, isn't it? He's, he's firstly stopped in the car. It, it, the whole thing sounded like she could see him park up as well afterwards and then walk yeah. over, which is just uh, absolutely horrific. March 20th, 2002. A middle-aged man in a red car approaches 12-year-old Rachel Cowles and offers her a lift home when she is walking home alone, having just finished a day at school. Rachel refuses to get into the vehicle and the man speeds off when he notices the girl raising her voice and other members of the public taking note. So, yeah, this will come back uh, later in the case, but it, he will on multiple occasions change his vehicle to avoid any kind of consistency in terms of his M.O. Um, and it's, yeah, it's really horrifying that he's now suddenly just approaching schoolgirls and teenagers
2: and another thing to note with his job he obviously been with clamping cars and whatnot. he had access to um, and had friends who had uh, basically a place where he could crush vehicles and get rid of vehicles in particular ways and we'll go on to how he disposes of other vehicles as well but um, so even one other thing to note here is these random attacks are very hard for police to kind of keep an eye on because it is random but he is very thought out in terms of how he's planning to do these things and he's very thought out about the vehicles and about you know leaving there any evidence as well. So they are random, but very planned out. March
3: 21st, 2002. Five months later, Levi Belfield is once again back prowling on the streets of London. But this time, he does so during the middle of the afternoon, and he does it in his at the time girlfriend's car, uh, which was Emma Mills, and she had a red Deu Nexia, which could possibly have been the red car that um, Rachel Cowles refused to get into a few days prior. He spends his time navigating the Walton on Thames area when he suddenly spots 13 year old schoolgirl Amanda Jane Dowler, who went by Millie. And this is the uh, case that Tom mentioned the highly publicised missing persons case of uh, Millie Dowler. Millie was alone and walking to her home in Horsham from Walton on Thames after having stopped for an after school snack with friends at the train station cafe. The walk home should have taken Millie approximately 30 minutes and happened in broad daylight. Millie called her father Bob to let him know that she would be home within half an hour, but unfortunately, she would never arrive. Millie was last seen by a friend of her sister's walking along Station Avenue by herself at 4.08pm, and CCTV surveillance would reveal a red-day driving along the very same road at 4.32pm. Though Levi's later court testimonies and subsequent amendments to said testimonies need to be taken with a pinch of salt, it is most commonly believed that Millie either got into Levi's vehicle to take up the offer of a lift home or was forced into the vehicle. And again, he's mixing everything up here because he's going in different parts of London, different vehicles, different times of day. um, And later, as we'll get into, he's using different methods of attack, different weapons, um, and he's going for a different avatar of victim um, in a way in terms of the age ranges and none of what happened next would be revealed until later, uh, eight years later in fact but we'll we'll get to that in, in the timeline. Millie's body would not be found for the next six months when it was discovered deep into the woods by mushroom pickers. At the time, despite a £100,000 reward being offered for information relating to her whereabouts, a national plea by pop idol winner Will Young, whom Millie had recently attended a concert of, as well as an episode dedicated to her abduction on Crime Watch UK, Millie's missing person case had captivated a nation, but provided very little in terms of information or public tips. Millie's own father, Bob, was long considered a suspect for her murder, but there was no evidence to suggest that this was the case. And her mother, Sally, was also interviewed by police. Police would not have their suspect for another eight years. So that in itself is a very condensed version of events of the murder of Millie Dowler. Um, obviously, it's a, a huge case and a um, and one that will feature later in the timeline. But yeah, again, at no point was Levi Belfield even considered. To have been involved in this again up until now it was so different to the other attacks that he's allegedly have been responsible for and uh yeah the police and the family went through uh, a lot of uh scrutiny and public outrage at this case which was was absolutely heartbreaking obviously for the family of millie
2: i think things to note as well is Levi was obviously at large for a long time after this so he you know he wasn't even on the radar of police for a fair a fair while so them eventually kind of figuring out which we'll get we'll get on to connecting the dots later on would um it was to be fair this case has a lot of good police work which i know we don't always say but i think yeah, yeah.
3: that's true what's interesting is you saying levi's l- at large um kind of couldn't more perfectly have thrown me into uh, this next segment oh god
2: throw me in dan ben carter's interesting facts interesting facts
3: Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Hope everyone's uh, having a smashing September so far. Fuck
2: off, as the bird's back. Uh, oh, that bird's back. <laughs> Shut
3: that door. Close that window. Fucking block your chimney. Um, I hope everyone is having a great week. Uh, a very brief one for BCs, ifs this week. Um, but some huge figures at play. Figures, um, figures, figures. But some huge figures at play. <laughs> Um, obviously my, my cryptic clue for this week's episode was call the farmer. I need a new pair of jeans, Levi Belfield, Levi's jeans. Uh, so yeah, but what I wanted to do first of all is as Tom mentioned, a lot of other content out there about this case always talks about the, the big neck, big girthy neck of, of Levi Belfield. Um, all I really found was like long necks and it wasn't really that interesting. So I thought, okay, I'm not going to... It doesn't stop you before. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I've, I'm sort of, um... <laughs> I'm doing some quality control now. Oh, nice. I decided to start doing that. Um, So instead, what I did was think about, oh, Levi's jeans are quite interesting. Uh, And my first thought relating to Levi's was, obviously, what's the largest pair of Levi's ever sold? And that led me to an article by CBS, uh, who I have to credit for this, uh, which was simply titled, Japan's biggest sumo star gets a super-sized pair of Levi's. Loose fit, slim fit, whatever your fit it seems there really is a Levi's fit for everybody, even Japan's biggest professional sumo wrestler. Uh, So when Japanese sumo star Yama uh, came through to San Francisco, Levi's CEO Chip Berg arranged to have him custom fitted for a pair of jeans at the flagship store. So Yama Ryuchi, who simply goes by Yama, uh, is not just Japan's heaviest sumo wrestler ever, he's also the heaviest Japanese man in history measuring at 6 foot 3 inches and weighing a staggering 600 pounds. He required a 76-inch waist, custom-made pair of Levi's jeans. And Yama says it was the first pair of jeans he's ever had since he was a boy.
2: He made Yama's day.
3: did <laughs> made Yama's day, yeah. He was very happy, Yama. Uh, Yama's jeans, however, are not the biggest pair of Levi's ever made. According to Guinness World Records, the largest Levi's measure at 98 feet high and are on display currently in Seoul, South Korea. 98 feet high. And for the people that prefer metres, just let my brain do some working out here for you. Pretty cool. Uh, It's about 29.8704 metres. Roughly, Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Roughly, yeah. (laughs) Sorry, yeah, roughly. Um, And yeah, I I found a picture of them. They are huge. Um, About the size of a uh, uh, two or three storey hotel. Uh, Yeah, biggest Levi's ever made.
0: What's the most valuable Levi's ever made?
3: Great question. Well, a vintage pair of Levi's from the 1880s uh, were found deep down in an abandoned New Mexico mine, um, and they were sold at auction for a whopping. Any guesses? Yeah, I'll have a go. I, f- I feel like you might get it.
2: $80,000. That's actually not bad.
0: Any advances on that, Dan? I think that guess is too good, actually. So um, is actually, yeah, yeah, his, I'm not, not going to guess. Don't worry about it. Yeah. No,
3: it is Tom $87,400 That's a very good guess That's a very good guess And it is amongst The most expensive Pair of jeans Ever sold
2: Did it have they Something are... in the pockets then? Did Some diamonds In the pockets Why is it so... Just sort of Retro looking Down kind of deep
3: in the mine Yeah I don't imagine They were It wouldn't be In pristine condition Would they No 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 Not, not new as worn Or new as sold um, the 166-year-old Levi Strauss jeans are the oldest known pair of miners' heavy-duty work pants, and also the most expensive. Uh, so there you go. We've got a 98-foot uh, pair of Levi's, a sumo Levi's, and um, a 166-year-old Levi's. Uh, so ser- selling you priced it very well. You should be on uh, uh, that David Dickinson thing.
2: Antique roadshow would probably be more. Yeah. More appropriate, but yeah, no, yeah, there you go. There you go. So, um, back very, to Levi. Very good. Very fun, that was. Ben Carter's Interesting Facts. Interesting Facts. February 4th,
0: 2003.
2: Believing that he may have been cited in his people carrier and his wife's red, DeU, on prior attempted abductions and successful abductions, respectively, Levi becomes nervous, not wanting to risk any kind of consistent pattern or sightings, he purchases a three-year-old Vauxhall Corsa for £6,000, and begins to use it for his late-night cruises around the back streets of London. I thought that was a lot for a three-year-old Corsa back in 2003. You used to have a Corsa, didn't you? I know, I didn't pay that much for it. About yeah. around the same time. So whilst cruising, Levi notices 19-year-old Gap student Marsha Louise McDonnell walking by herself along Percy Road in Kingston-upon-Thames during the early midnight hours. Marsha had just been to the cinema with some friends and had got the 111 bus towards her home in Hampton. The last known image of Marsha was taken at 8 minutes past midnight, where she is seen thanking the driver before getting off the bus. Two minutes after that image was taken, Marsha was struck over the head from behind with a blunt instrument several times, where she was left on the floor to die. Levi's MO at this point starts to become more clear. He stakes out bus stops and train stations late at night, where he then approaches vulnerable-looking women. Any that rejected his advances are brutally savaged, and this is likely the case with Marshall McDonnell. It's also speculated that he didn't actually wouldn't actually approach these women and get rejected. He would just assume that he was going to get rejected anyway and just become extremely angry and act out before even doing this. And I've heard another podcast of them speculating the fact that with buses, you could drive around, you could see people on buses, and you could kind of pick. You know, he was essentially being random with it, but he could perhaps see on his hunt around people that he wanted to target on the buses and kind of follow those buses around, yeah. be there when they get off the bus and, and act out his horrible um, or his horrible plan.
3: And I think, yeah, there are so many elements of this case that are, you could see in a, in a typical horror movie yeah. uh, where he's watching people or stalking people. And it, there's a, there's, it reminds me as well of the Beast of Jersey case we did in our um, Spooky Stories little mm. mini-series there. Um, but he obviously waited at the bus stop for people to arrive. Uh, which is, yeah, again, just new level of terrifying. But yeah, yeah, he, he will continue now to mix things up and that's, I think, the hard part of the police because, as Tom said, the police deserve a lot of credit in this case. Obviously, with the Millie Dowler one, there's a lot of anger towards the police and, and with that that being the exception, the rest of this case, they do some really good work. Um, but at this point, how are they to know that, how are they to link any of these crimes because he's mixing it up so drastically with each attack?
2: But Marsha would pass away from her injuries in hospital two days later, and once again police had no suspect on the radar, and Levi Belfield was able to continue to roam the streets. A first mortem found that she had suffered multiple skull fractures and bleeding around the brain. Marsha was described as quiet, hard-working and a loving soul, but plans to travel Australia just a couple weeks after she was murdered. Worrying that he may have been spotted near Marsha in his new Vauxhall Corsa, Levi sells his car for £1,500 just six days after the murder, having paid four times the amount a few months prior.
3: Yeah, that's more my my budget. What now? (laughs) No, then.
2: Oh yeah, sorry.
3: (laughs) December 16th, 2003. 39-year-old Irma Dragoshi was walking alone to her home in Longford when she was attacked by a man carrying a hammer. Though she was struck several times, she was able to survive and call for help. Her assailant was never captured or identified, but many people, including Irma, believe that Levi Belfield was responsible for this ferocious attack. And Irma would actually later play uh, a significant role in the trial uh, of Levi Belfield. May 28, 2004, the following year, Levi's lust for violence is still not satisfied. This time, for reasons that are not completely clear, he completely changes his typical MO. Levi perpetrates a violent attack on 18-year-old Kate Sheedy on an industrial estate in Isleworth, London, intentionally running her over multiple times with his vehicle, leaving her with serious life-threatening injuries. Kate had just gotten off a bus before making her way towards work for a night shift when a large people carrier began to follow her. She didn't like the way that this person seemed to stagger in his vehicle alongside her whilst she walked, so she crossed the road to get to the other side. The next thing Kate knew, the vehicle had turned around down the industrial estate, returned, the vehicle then veered towards her at a very high speed, hitting her directly, before then reversing over her motionless body which is just, yeah,
2: absolutely horrific. So they would go on to break all the ribs in her body and also slice her liver in two.
3: Absolutely horrific. And again, going back to what Tom said about he would approach some of his victims already with the mind that they'd reject them or if she had already said, look, I'm not getting in the car with you. If he'd he'd sort of pulled up alongside her asking her to get in, it's... We
2: just got to think the paranoia he had that his girlfriend would be trying to poison him so he'd make her have bites of food. Think the paranoia he's already in his mind thinking oh she would reject me she's crossed the road that means she doesn't want to be with me she thinks I'm ugly or whatever yeah. it's for probably thrown him back to being bullied as a kid and then he's he's acting out on that on that behalf. but yeah it's absolutely yeah. I mean the thought of running over someone in itself is horrible but then the idea of then the whole weight of this people carrier driving over the body is, is, is absolutely horrible yeah
3: So despite the injuries that Tom has just mentioned, thankfully Kate survived, and after spending six weeks in hospital, she was able to describe her attacker's vehicle as a quote, white people carrier with purple tinted blacked out windows and a broken wing mirror. Levi was found to have owned a heavily modified Toyota Privia that completely matched the description at the time of the attack. Though the rest of Kate's memory of the attack is hazy, it is believed that Levi attacked her due to her refusal to get in the vehicle with him. Another note to mention here is that Kate, just like Marsha and Anna Maria, was a young blonde lady.
2: August 19th, 2004. At this point, because each attack or attempted abduction has ranged slightly in terms of location, time, attack type and vehicle used, police and the general public are not aware that they are dealing with the work of a serial killer. Once again, Levi Belfield seems to think of himself as one step ahead of everybody else, and his ego continues to grow. Detective Chief Inspector Colin Sutton of the Metropolitan Police, who we mentioned at the start of the episode, was appointed as the lead for the case for the growing attacks on young blonde women across London. He would like to say the following on the case and Levi Belfield. Belfield has a massive ego to feed. He
0: thinks he's God's gift to everyone. He drives around in cars, feels a bit whatever and sees some young blonde girl. Young blonde girl says go away and he thinks you dare turn down Levi Belfield. You're worth nothing. And then she gets a whack over the head. It is shown in the case of Kate Sheedy. She was smart enough to think she didn't like the look of his car and crossed the road. He thinks you think you're so clever and whoosh he runs her over
2: I mean that's sort of another thing to mention here it's just how many of these women seem to have the intuition and the feeling that something wasn't right and acted upon mm-hmm. it and it just goes to show following that gut instinct is so important I mean we'll never know as men that fear that people have uh, women have walking by themselves late at night or yeah, anything oh, like God. that and it's not something we can identify and it's a horrible thing that women have to go through that and have to kind of have that in the back of their mind but i think it really goes to show if you have a horrible little feeling in the, in the knot of your stomach that there's it's not a bad thing to just you know to follow it because it's in so many cases so many things we covered before it does seem to quite often be right Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it is,
3: it's really hard to, as Tom said, identify with that or put yourself in that mind frame. Even walking somewhere alone, you you don't even second guess it, do you, as a male? But yeah, that's the thing with this case. The police as well and the general public at the time, had no idea that there was a serial killer on the loose. So there were no warnings to the public, there were no advisories on, you know, head out in in large groups, don't walk alone anywhere, don't stay out late at night by yourself. And so he is able to continue to change his tactics, his MO, and continue
2: to claim victims. Just three months after the attack on Kate Sheedy, Levi strikes again, this time targeting 22-year-old French student Amélie Delagrange who had recently moved to London um, from France. Amélie was returning to her apartment in Twickenham Green area when a man approached her and asked her if she needed a lift home. Amélie refused, and so the man pulled a hammer from his sleeve and struck her several times in the head before fleeing. Amélie de La was later spotted on CCTV cameras, which showed her walking towards Twickenham Green after she had missed a stop on the bus home. Her attack was frustratingly not present in this footage as if he may have been aware where the cameras were placed. That's one thing to note, like I mentioned earlier on, in terms of these being random attacks, they were thought out, and I don't think it's any coincidence a lot of these these, um, attacks happen, basically not in sight. Uh, With the Millie Dowler one, apparently it was a very short space where she could walk where there weren't cameras, and it'd have to be, you know, it's not a coincidence that's where she was taken. So, Amelie may have stopped and spoken to Belfield between the last two sightings of her, which was confirmed in police interviews um, with residents in the area, which meant that she was attacked shortly afterwards. Amelie would be discovered by a dog walker two hours later, and an ambulance was immediately called. She was taken to a nearby hospital, where she would sadly die a few hours after arriving. Apparently the person who found her thought that literally was just a pile of clothing in the middle of the field, but it actually turned out to be her and she was bleeding profusely from the back of her head. Immediately, police begin to see trends between this murder and the murder of Marsha McDonnell 18 months earlier and realise they have a serial killer on their hands. Despite this, Amelie's murder remains unsolved for some time, with her family understandably devastated and angry. Throughout this period of almost three years, the police realise that they have a serial killer at work, The Surrey Police launched Operation Edgewood to investigate a series of attacks on blonde women in the southwest London area. Some detectives had the suspicions about Levi Belfield, who had been known to frequent the areas that the murders took place in, and had either previous employment or previous criminal history in many of the locations. As a result of the suspicions, Detective Chief Inspector Colin Sutton orders the surveillance of Levi Belfield, and a wider investigation and re-interviews of previous survivors of the attack attempts. So as a result of the suspicions, and also due to a phone call from Joanna Collins, who uh basically had told the police that she was already still kind of in a relationship with levi um but she had basically said to the police about his controlling behavior abusive behavior and also that worry and bin bag she found with all the faces stabbed in and his hatred towards women specifically blonde women which seems to be the trend here between the um between the victims she basically says to them this is my concerns um, and when they were, when she did go on to say about the car and the van he also drew, he drove around in the police were very interested to kind of follow this up and just a note on Joanna as well she, she would go on to say other things about Levi how, You know, even though they'd been together as a couple for about four years he'd been in her life manipulating her for about 11 years he would often go outside the back of her house from the back of the fence and essentially would call her all the time tell her when she last put the kettle on tell her what clothes she was wearing and just basically stalk her the whole time um, so I think the police were a bit unsure at first thinking that maybe Kostalkin wasn't taken as seriously then which is, is uh, such a weird thing to think about but um, police weren't sure whether or not she was saying these things to get her, her him off her back but once she went on to say about the car like I mentioned they started taking it a lot more seriously and its I mean, people blame her for not coming out about this earlier, but you can't blame her. I mean, she was in that relationship. She'd been abused by him. It's its one of those where no. if she would have said this and he got any wind of her saying that, you yep. can only imagine what the reaction would be.
3: But also, the, with the attacks being so varied, it wouldn't have become apparent to her until perhaps a little bit later on for her
2: to be yeah, more aware. Yeah, and she, I, I believe she did actually go and get um, press charges against him beforehand. And because... He basically soon afterwards, it was an injunction. He ripped up the injunction, put it right in the envelope going, basically, I'm going to kill you and posted it in, in the letterbox. Oh, wow. So the fact that she had gone to actually do this afterwards is, is incredibly brave. And I, I people blame her, but I think that's absolutely wild that they do. So, um, after, so as a result, the suspicions and this phone call, as I mentioned, Detective Chief Inspector Colin Sutton ordered the surveillance of Levi Belfield and a wider investigation and re-interviews of the previous survivors of the attempted attacks and abductions. Whilst under police surveillance, Levi spotted numerous times parking at bus stops and train stations in his people carrier and chatting at lengths with girls and young women at each location. But no attacks or abductions were observed. Which again, you have
3: to wonder, based on how um, uh, calculated and logical he's been so far, do you think he realised he was under surveillance or being followed or being watched for him not to have actually tried any attacks or abductions during that time period? It's
2: tricky. I mean... It- i imagine he would be aware of other people being around which i mean he's been careful not to attack people in front of people in general anyway so it's true yeah i don't know
3: yeah it's it's an interesting one but he's still seen at least trying or at least placing himself in these scenes but not actually doing anything illegal unless i suppose he parked directly in the bus is that illegal I driving in some bus lanes can be. Uh, November 22nd, 2004. After this pattern continued for a number of weeks, police make the decision to detain Levi Belfield under suspicion of the murders of Amelie de La Grange and Marsha McDonnell and the attempted murder of Anna Maria Rennie and Kate Sheedy. He was arrested during the early hours of November 22nd and was actually trying to hide in his loft at the time of his arrest, completely naked. So there are some very interesting recollections of that particular moment from is at the time partner, Emma Mills, which we'll, we'll share in the aftermath. But yeah, basically he is having a conversation at length with her. He's aware the police are potentially heading towards his
2: home when he hears the knock at the door, completely naked, takes himself up to the loft. So with this, I got the impression that he was hiding under the insulation, completely naked and hiding. So I didn't know whether or not he's naked because... It's insulation, so it's it's hot, and in the yep. loft, it's going to be hot. I mean, November twenty second is going to be cold, to be fair, yeah. but and that's the itchiest fucking thing <laughs> in the world. I I don't know, go in my loft for that one reason. I was come out and just fucking itching all over. So that's the most uncomfortable things to be. But I also it's actually made me think hiding places, and I thought <laughs> there could be some terrific trivia here. Dan, <laughs> kick it. Here we go. <laughs> trivia (laughs) that's terrific so yes we are back with tts um and i've got yeah hiding places and uh people where people would go what lengths they would go to in terms of getting away from people so i've I've got a couple that i thought were particularly interesting and then particularly uh, a trivia-tastic and then one (laughs) random one which i stumbled across which i thought was worth worth a mention so yeah um the first one i'm going to go into is i'm a bootin'. Which is a teenager who was in trouble for a probation violation. He would nip out the courthouse and had a great idea to check cars to see if they were unlocked. When he would go on to find one, he hopped into the boot and was waiting for his getaway driver. But it turns out the car belonged to the judge presiding on his case.
3: Wow. Wow. So he's just waiting in the boot.
2: And then the judge is like, "Mm." (laughs) hmm. Gotcha. The next one I've called Chair Play. A person suspected of being an illegal immigrant was making his way from the US to Mexico and he hid himself inside a car seat. So it's not like he's literally, the pictures are incredible. He's, he's sat there with like a lever half put on him and he's sat in the position of a seat. And I was thinking he might have got away with that if he had someone perhaps sitting on him. But it is, if you search it, man hiding in his seat. It, I don't know if it will come up to be effect of putting numerous things but it is an incredible picture and yeah he, he unsurprisingly didn't get away oh um, I found it yeah. <laughs> I found it too yeah, he looks incredible. very angry again that would be really hard as well but yeah um, so yeah, those are two I found in terms of people hiding. The other ones I found just seemed too wild and didn't really believe them. There's ones like people hiding in the actual engine of a car and stuff. And I was like, that can't be true. So I didn't go with this. But I did find this article um, where it was kind of hiding things. And it was rather than hiding and trying to get away from someone, it was weird places where the bodies were found, essentially. Um, so, I've called this one Phantom of the Theme Park. In Disneyland Paris's Phantom Manor, just kitted out and filled with all those fake cobwebs and spooky skeletons and whatnot, it turned out much spookier and darker in 2016. When employees discovered the body of their co worker, a 45 year old technician believed to have been electrocuted whilst fixing a broken light. So, his body wow. was just found was surrounded by skeletons and cobwebs, which I thought was quite spooky, but that wasn't the only death to happen in Disneyland Paris. Another employee died after getting stuck under a boat on It's a Small World ride.
3: Oh, Hasn't there been loads of deaths sort or of bad things happening in It's a Small World? Was that the American one?
2: I mean, it's a terrible ride in itself. <laughs> but he had started operating on... Basically, he was starting to fix and tinker with this boat and it, the, the ride turned on whilst he was doing that. So he was basically <sighs> trapped in there and killed working on the boat. That's it's horrible. That it is like Final Destination. Yeah. I just that music going on but yeah that is Tommy's Trivia yeah it went a bit from being a bit light to a bit dark at the end but um, <laughs> anyway back to the case Tommy's Trivia <laughs> that's terrific
3: there is footage of the interrogation of Levi Belfield available online and it does make for quite chilling uh, insight into the mind and personality traits of Belfield uh, we'll play a clip of that for you
4: now that was at the very beginning of the interview do you remember that? it's no. exactly what you said no comment. I found that very interesting and I'll tell you for why. But you didn't deny it. No comment. You didn't say it's not me. No comment. And at no stage over the last two days have you denied any involvement in these offences? No comment. Why is that involved? No comment.
3: Obviously, as you heard, Levi responds to every single question with no comment. So later that day, whilst in police custody, Levi Belfield is charged with three counts of rape in the Surrey and West London areas. December 9th, 2004, in order to get Levi remanded in custody, he is placed with an additional charge of assaulting a woman in the Twickenham Green area between the years of 1995 and 1997. He immediately denies these charges. March 2nd, 2006. Almost two years go by without any conviction. And after many changes to testimonies and pleas, Levi Belfield is re-arrested for the attempted murder of Kate Sheedy and later charged with her attack, as well as the murders of Marsha MacDonald and Amelie de Lagrange. On top of this, he is also charged with attempted murder and causing grievous bodily harm to Irma Dragoshi.
2: October 12, 2007, Levi Belfast's trial begins at the Old Bailey, London, for the murders of Marshall McDonnell and Amelie de Lagrange, the attempted murder of Irma Dragoshi and Kate Sheedy, and the attempted kidnap of Anna Marie Rennie. He continues to deny all counts. Lead prosecutor Brian Altman states, these women were targeted victims of a predatory man
0: who stalked bus stops and bus routes in vehicles looking for young women to attack.
2: He calls on witness Sunil Garu, who was one of the few good friends of Levi's. He had been in the car with Levi when he announced, watch this, and then proceeded to attack Irma de Grosje with a hammer. Despite this testimony, Levi shockingly tries instead to frame Garu for the attack. The jury discovered that six days after the murder of Amélie de Lagrange, Levi broke down in his bedroom, having taken an overdose of antidepressants. He's found by a girlfriend and it's here that Levi announces you don't know what I've done. He's subsequently admitted to a local psychiatric hospital where he tells staff he's feeling low and suicidal. However, he wakes up and discharges himself the very next day. Which is quite interesting because it seems like he's so callous on these things. It doesn't seem to weigh heavy on him at all.
3: Yeah, and I mean, to go back to the friend that was in the car as well, I don't understand how that's only, he's only decided to come forward at trial. He's essentially, surely he would have faced some sort of
2: charges for that. Hmm. During the trial, Levi repeatedly denies being present at any of the attacks. He claims his work as a wheel clamper gives him access to a variety of cars that other people within his team can also use. Prosecutor Brian Altman suggests to the jury that Belford has attempted to massage evidence and is also providing fictitious accounts. Levi appeals to the jury that he is simply the victim of mistaken identity. It was also mentioned that he was apparently quite charming when he was in the dock and he, when he's talking about things very captivating, perhaps is a better word, where people were listening to him, you could kind of see where, you know, he was able to kind of manipulate people. He, he could hold an audience, he could spin spin a yarn, as we like to say. Um, but yeah, he seems to be denying everything adamantly here, but then in other accounts quite open to actually attacking people in front of his friends. February 25th 2008. Levi Belfield is finally found
3: guilty of the murders of Marsha McDonnell and Amélie de Lagrange, as well as the attempted murder of Kate Sheedy, and as a result he is sentenced to life imprisonment and also sentenced with a whole life order. Belfield was not in court to hear this sentence as he had refused to attend the court owing to what he said or what he deemed unfair press coverage following his conviction. So yeah, that I mean, he seems to think again that the the press have got it all wrong, uh, the the legal system's got it all wrong. He's blaming anyone but himself, which kind of lines up with the, the the rest of his mindset throughout this case. Uh, We then flash forward three years to 2011. After a revelation to another inmate, or an alleged revelation, I guess you could say alleged, Levi is charged under suspicion of the murder of 13 year old Millie Dowler, uh, which occurred eight years previous. His trial for the murder of Millie Dowler begins. It emerges at the trial that Belfield's family weren't at home on the day of Millie's disappearance, and also his partner at the time claimed that he had uh, gone out in a change of clothes uh, very suddenly, which was quite out of character for him and his then girlfriend it was actually emma mills also remembered that she was unable to get hold of belfield on his mobile phone which as we've talked about he was very active on his phone texting partners calling partners asking where they are what they're doing so she found that highly unusual that she couldn't reach him so yeah the, 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 an interesting note to make although this is many years in the future um, emma's recollection is that they were house sitting for friends on that day and when uh, she had returned to the property uh, not only had the bed sheets disappeared from their home, but Levi had completely changed his outfit. So um, she found that quite unusual. And whilst they were um, spending time apart that day, or whilst Levi had gone out, she was not able to reach him on his mobile at all. And uh, you know, as we mentioned, he was very, very active on that phone. So
2: yeah, with that, so sorry, I was going So with that, um, Levi Belford apparently said that the dog had, had made a mess of the bed, therefore he took the bed sheets and he burnt them. Uh, which apparently the dog was very well house trained, so that's very unlikely to happen. And as well, the, the girl girlfriend actually said that if that did happen levi would just let let her do all that stuff because he wasn't he wasn't very house trained himself he didn't do any housework himself so she felt that was a very suspicious woman itself and as ben mentioned with him not answering his phone that's very unlike him him being unpresent with that in that sense and um the, the night after that millie uh, Dowler went missing he he got up at three in the morning and then left the house which again is very weird behavior from him
3: So as a result, he is found guilty and sentenced to serve another whole life tariff, becoming the only prisoner in the UK at the time with two whole life tariffs. After Belfield's sentencing, the Dowler family strongly criticised their treatment during the trial, as both parents, as we mentioned, had been considered suspects, particularly the father, and it had taken almost nine years to find the perpetrator. Millie's surviving sister, Gemma, described the day that her parents were cross-examined by Belfield's defence lawyer as the worst day of her life, and her mother told reporters outside the Old Bailey.
0: For us, the trial has been a truly awful experience. We have had to hear Millie's name defamed in court. She has been portrayed as an unhappy, depressed young girl. The Millie we knew was a happy, vivacious, fun-loving girl. Our family has been scrutinised and laid open for everyone to inspect. We have had to lose our right to privacy and sit through day after harrowing day of the trial in order to get a man convicted of this brutal murder. The lengths this system goes to protect his human rights seems so unfair compared to what we, as a family, have had to endure.
3: Millie's father, Bob, commented on Levi's refusal to give evidence in court and to appear for sentencing. Uh, Once again, he did not show up for this, this part of the trial. He added,
0: My family had to pay too high a price for this conviction. The trial has been a truly mentally scarring experience on an unimaginable scale. You have had to have been there to truly understand. During our questioning, my wife and I both felt as if we were on trial. We despair of a justice system that is so loaded in favour of the perpetrator of the crime.
2: So Levi's defence, essentially, they were going after um, after Millie's family. They, uh, they were already suspected during the early stages of the uh, Millie's disappearance for being the ones guilty of her murder. Um <clears throat> but it's really they kind of took really tenuous things and really pushed it home as to reasons why for motive, and they thought that uh, essentially there was a box in the in their loft which had S and M gear for the, for Millie's father Bob, um, and when they found they basically said, "Oh, maybe Millie found that stuff, and she was so appalled and disgusted that she ran away." which is a very Mm. elaborate thing to claim. Um, And they were basically saying that, you know, trying to label Bob as being a pervert and, you know, he did these things. It was all on him. And yeah, basically saying that if he hadn't done that, then maybe she'd still be alive, which is very, very bleak in itself. Um, Then also they found some notes and poems that Millie had been writing. And one of them, she labels like, herself as a disappointment and they were thinking that that in itself lends itself to the fact that she didn't feel loved by her parents enough which is also possibly a motive or a reason so they really hammered home and went really hard on the family which i know you have to essentially defend your client but after you know the suffering so much and then trying to put it all on them you can only imagine how horrible that was and apparently left um, Millie's Millie's mother, especially feeling quite very kind of suicidal during that time, just because after all they've been through. So I get people have to do their jobs as lawyers, but sometimes it feels, you know, inhumane within itself. Absolutely. So
3: that was the timeline for the case of Levi Belfield. We're now going to move on to a bit of aftermath. So Levi Belfield is currently imprisoned at HM Prison, Franklin, where he has been for the last 12 years and will spend the rest of his life. After his arrest and the high volume of media attention, police as well as the general public have considered Levi Belfield as the perpetrator of many other murders. So yeah, although the actual uh, confirmed total number of murders is, is at three at the moment um, there are up to a dozen additional ones that he's been um, long considered for and also quite harrowingly linked himself to many of them Um, which makes me believe maybe he wasn't as involved um, based on his own ego there. Uh, So one of them was 45-year-old Lynn Russell and her six-year-old daughter, Megan. Uh, It's been speculated that Levi admitted to these murders whilst in prison, but many of his own friends and family have given very strong alibis for him on that day uh, that the murders happened. Uh, So he could very much be doing this for media attention or to cause harm to the families of those victims. He has since admitted to numerous unsolved murders without any clear evidence. Pointing to him being responsible. And as recently as 2020, nine different police forces across three different countries are investigating a dozen quote unquote confessions that have been made by Levi Belfield. And on the 9th of November 2016, the the Metropolitan Police issued a statement which said
0: All lines of inquiry have now been exhausted, and the decision has been taken to close this investigation as there is no evidence to link the individual to any case for which he has not already been convicted.
3: He is also linked to the murders of 19-year-old Elizabeth Chow and 27-year-old Lola Shenkoya, which occurred in 1999 and 2000, respectively. And both of them occurred whilst Levi was working as a bouncer, and, and it's believed that both these women had attended the clubs he was working at. Um, but again, there's no additional link to it
2: other than that. He is also linked heavily to the January 2004 attempted murder of 23-year-old Sarah Spurrell, who was struck three times with a hammer on a dimly lit street in Hastings. Levi Belford is also linked to the 1990 murder of 51-year-old Judith Gold, who died in Hampstead after being struck in the head and face several times with an unidentified object. In 2016, Levi Belford confessed to the 1999 murder of 14-year-old schoolgirl Millie Boll in the Netherlands, further adding to his list of horrifying crimes police firmly believe that all of these supposed murders Belford has linked himself to have been of the sole purpose of causing pain and upset to families. And that's another thing with the, with the, he didn't ever admit to any of these, any of these crimes. He went in the courtroom with the families of the victims there, made them all go through, go through everything again, all have to suffer again or hear all the grisly, grisly details. He loved being in control. He loved manipulating the situation. He loved just them having to suffer at the hands of him. So, um, and I even think he he's, he's one of those who seems to link himself to murders, likes to be in the press, likes to have his name out there um, he's just one of those horrible individuals who just, yeah, as I said, likes to control situations, but I do think he has his partly claiming deaths where he has nothing to do with, he's just- Yeah, just yeah, I agree, I think the only
3: one I could see ties to is that 14 uh, year old uh, Patsy Morris, the one mm. that was his, well, believed to have been his girlfriend when he was 12 years old, but he he was 12 years old, I know he'd obviously he had a fairly tumultuous uh, childhood but I, I don't know if if this is the one I can see the most links to because he was uh, he was bunking off school the day that she was murdered he was also then found to have changed his clothes the father of Patsy Morris is adamant that he received yeah. a phone call saying uh, that you know I'm gonna I'm gonna kill your
2: daughter because she rejected me or something like that so the case of millie dowler's murder gained extensive media attention and led to significant public outrage it also brought to light the unethical practices of certain tabloid newspapers as it was revealed that the news of the world had hacked millie's phone which at the time gave her family false hope that she's still alive so basically just a bit more on that so what would happened is the police you know the family were calling her phone and they couldn't leave any voice notes because it, her base it was full and then one time when they did call they were able to leave it, so they felt as if Millie had been on a phone and deleted some messages. So they thought she must still be alive because why well, would there certainly be space left on the answer phone? Uh, but actually, what the News of the World had done, they had deleted it in order to get more messages from the parents, etc., or people, so they can have more things to basically leak in the newspaper. Which is truly disgusting. I mean, there's, there's, that's a whole case in itself. The News of the World hacking phones, but um, it, this story was so damn to them it actually led to the news of the world actually being um, shut down and i think they've been going for over 100 years as a newspaper so it, is, it just goes to show the weight of this story and kind of the weight of all the, the wrong that they had done from this case um, throughout the timeline we've covered levi maintained the relationship with Emma mills who had no idea of a disturbing second life in an interview with the mirror she said
0: i always thought levi was a cheat a bully and a liar but i never thought he'd kill anyone we were in bed in the morning he was arrested and the police came knocking He turned and just looked at me and looked so scared. It was complete fear. I've never seen him look like that before. He said he was sorry and then hid naked in the loft."
3: Whilst in prison, Levi Belfield has since converted to Islam and changed his name to Yusuf Rahim. He has also become engaged and as recently as May of 2022, Levi proposed to a woman who had started writing to him two years previously, before becoming a visitor on a regular basis. So this made its way into the into the headlines very, very quickly, um, obviously caused a lot of uh, anger from the general public. Um, he would need, in order for this engagement to uh, follow through to actually become married to this woman, he would need the express permission of the prison governor of H.M. Franklin to actually get married, um, which many feel will be highly unlikely the investigation that led to Belfield's arrest um, there have been many books films, documentaries uh, podcasts made about the case but it was dramatised uh, by ITV in a three part series uh, that premiered in early 2019 and actually had Martin Clunes play uh, Chief Inspector Colin Sutton uh, we all know Martin from Men Behaving Badly fame
2: yeah on that though, like, I think it's, it's a fascinating thing within itself and I'd love to see, it probably is a documentary out there I'm sure because there's a true crime kind of documentary about absolutely everything now but women who start writing to serial killers and they become, you know, emotionally attached with them and marry them, especially when it's someone who would just, like, he he killed women so violently and so viciously. What are you seeing in that person that you think, this is the man for me? I just find that truly baffling. I can see why, like... Uh, I remember um, some people were saying like, you know, he took away the right for these girls. For a lot of these girls to get married. Himself, why does he have any right to get married? The argument is human rights, but he does he deserve that? No, I don't think he does. After all he's done, but yeah, what kind of person's looking at someone and going, yeah, Levi Belford, he's he's wanting to be
3: my hubby. Hybristophilia is a paraphilia involving sexual interest in and an attraction to those who commit crimes. Um, there are several reasons why women. ...might be drawn to men who commit the most violent crimes... ...from childhood trauma to a condition called hybristophilia... Um, ...and that can include low self-esteem, lack of a father figure... Uh, some believe they can change a man as cruel and powerful as a serial killer. A few hope to share the media spotlight or get a book or movie deal. I think that's got to be a popular one, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, others see the little boy that the killer once was and seek to nurture him. Then there's the notion of the quote unquote perfect boyfriend. She knows where he is all the times and she knows that he's thinking about her. While she can claim that someone loves her, she does not have to endure the day-to-day issues involved in most relationships. There's no laundry to no cooking for him and no accountability to him
2: she can keep the fantasy charged up for a long time but yes that is the case of levi belfield uh a lot a lot to it a lot to it that case and you can see why it was such a kind of widespread manhunt on it i do think the police did a very good job there's obviously we didn't go into great detail on certain aspects of the police work there um but they did do a lot of good work there's you know in terms of tracking down the white vans even i know they had to go through literally standing on the streets making note of the license plates as they're driving past because they didn't have the automated systems that they do now so even just the man hours to go through with that but luckily they did catch their man um the key moment i think the police did get um some flack was essentially one of the failed um, attempts where he tried to kidnap a young girl she actually was able to say what the color of the car was the fact the car had baby seats in the back and give a lot of good details to um, but the police never really made note of that or linked it to the other the other crimes so they would have been able to if they took note of that and found the car they would have been able to find him a lot quicker and it would have even prevented a lot of deaths but it, it, sadly it's one of those things isn't it in terms of once you have it all laid out in front of you at the end it's very easy to look at but yes it, it, a very dark case but, um, it won that, um, but yeah it was a huge case in the UK and you can see why he got two life tariffs for all the crimes he did Definitely, definitely. And it's a, it's a horrible one as well for all these... Not only the
3: crimes he's been convicted for, but all of these other murders that he's linked himself to or tried to implicate himself in because he's just adding to the trauma of those families that are trying to recover. And that's just as evil as, as, as all of the other things he's done. So, yeah, a real, a real piece of shit this week, um, as often is the case in the world of true crime. Um, but, yeah, that was the case of Levi Belfield. Um, I believe we
0: have a riddle to solve um yes let's 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 figure out this riddle together shall we can you say it again just to remind everybody out there uh the riddle is the person who made it doesn't need it the person who bought it doesn't want it the person who needs it doesn't know it what is it Mm,
3: a deathbed coffin
0: uh the answer is a coffin but deathbed, deathbed you know it works
2: I mean no it's definitely it's not actually a thing though is it you'd still of have like, to make it wouldn't you oh, yeah but that's it. just a bed isn't it In the hospital, essentially
0: a bed in a hospital yeah but nobody wants well, a death I also bell. thought it
2: could have been time but
0: how do you make you can make time um, well fantastic Ben I mean I think you both got it but really Ben got it you got the correct answer there so well done oh, another bloody good one Dan another yeah, bloody good, good one yeah
2: I like that yeah cool
0: tune in next time for another
2: and exciting news It's been a long time since we've had any new merch And we've been teasing it away But we're going to have our Sunny Side Up merch Will be released either It will either be on the website now Or it will be very soon So keep your eyes peeled for that Very excited for that merch And for you guys to have a quick peek at and if you just can't wait
3: until uh, next week's episode, which I will give you a little cryptic uh, teaser for, um, why not head over to icmap.co.uk? Um, we've got at the time 130 extra episodes on there in video and audio uh, formats. Uh, some really interesting ones. We just recently covered the uh, 1962 Alcatraz escapes.
2: Well, uh, Tom and Dan did. I, w- I wasn't there. Lazy fuck. Um, but it is a terrific. It was so fun and like and just to celebrate the new merch coming out soon, we're going to be doing 10% for everybody off on the all existing merchandise. So be sure to check that out. And also some more exciting news over on the website. We're actually going to be offering a new tier on there, uh, so a slightly cheaper tier, which will gain you access to two of the uh, four episodes Actually, we're doing a month. So if you, maybe you want to dip your toe and see what's going on and don't want to commit to um, the, the slightly higher price, then why not check out that tier? That'll be on the website soon and uh, we'll we'll be posting on all my socials all about that as well absolutely
3: and the final little plug at some point this week if you're listening to this episode as it comes out uh, we will be doing our audience vote so head over to Instagram at couldmurderapod and uh, cast your votes Um, we can't wait to see which, uh, which case you guys pick um we really can't, we really can't.
2: Always interesting to see what you guys want to pick and obviously it does, it does affect our later picks for other series. I'm sure you guys have noticed that. But yeah, excited to see what you guys have to pick. Ben, have you got your little, your little clue out for, for next week? Yeah, let me get my little clue out. Oh, Tell Mark. stinks. <coughs> Where's the
3: clue? Tell Mark Wahlberg to give a Snickers to that shit comedian. Tell Mark Wahlberg to give a Snickers to that shit comedian.
2: There you go. Uh, we'll let that just air out there. Um, but, like we always say, we say this all the time keep doing what you're doing. Uh, unless it's going up to your loft naked and insulating yourself. Go to sleep with your mum T16 and make her wipe your genitals on your bum. <laughs> oh, um,
3: don't tell yourself you can't wear jeans if you're a sumo wrestler. You can do, there's jeans for everyone.
2: 60 foot ones oh yeah we've quickly go down you have to pick who won that I'm guessing sumo oh shit oh um,
0: do you know what they were both really interesting so you both get a point
2: (laughs) brilliant love that all (laughs) the best (laughs) (laughs) stupid couldn't give less of a fuck
0: I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk.